it's always important to consider what is the manufacturing cost versus the sale price. In process development, you have the greatest potential for impact when that delta is significant, when that ratio is significant. Hey, smart biotech scientists, welcome back. Are you looking for strategies to facilitate a smooth transition from the lab into a large-scale facility? Well, then you are in for a treat today because we are in the middle of a conversation with Neil Templeton, who is a director in upstream process development at Solid Biosciences. And in the first part, we looked at how you develop a clear roadmap for a successful journey from the lab to the large-scale facility. So please go back if you haven't listened to that one and listen to part one. And today, we are continuing our journey. We are zooming out, looking at the different modalities and in particular at gene therapy. And we are asking the question, how can we drive down the costs in the gene therapy space? These are Neil Templeton's opinions and not his companies. Are you juggling the complexities of CMC development while trying to enjoy the beauty of biotech? Have you ever wondered if there's a way to simplify bioprocessing? Welcome to the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast, where we're diving headfirst into the very challenges you face. We're breaking it down demystifying the jargon and giving you the keys to unlock your full potential. I'm your host, David Brohlman, and I get it. With 15 plus years in the biotech industry, I face the same challenges you do. There's a way to simplify and streamline so you can remove complexity, you can skip trials and errors, deliver without delay your groundbreaking therapy to clinics at market, and still enjoy every single step. Do you want to learn how industry experts and I did it? Grab a cup of coffee and your favorite notebook and pen. Now is the time to take your bioprocessing game to the next level. Let's smarten up biotech. Let's zoom out a bit because the biotech industry has evolved and you've seen a lot of different modalities. We have moved from classical maps to complex fusion antibodies. We have vaccines, we have mRNA, we have cell and gene therapy. So I would be curious to know what are the differences when it comes to process development and scale up, just comparing these different areas. Are there some major differences or is it pretty much the same? I would say it is both. There are some noteworthy differences. And then there's also similarities. The point I was speaking about metabolism, that is something that I found to be pretty consistent as you move from one modality to the next, at least for things like MABs or viruses by biomass assessment. Most of your product is still protein and these sort of energy-based assessments, and I say energy, I'm talking about glucose or lactate or whatever it is that you have that you can measure in high throughput, but protein is energetically the most demanding macromolecule to make, far more so than that of a lipid or a carbohydrate or a nucleotide. So that's one thing that's fairly consistent. Viewing things with a metabolic lens is fairly consistent across the modalities. 
Maybe no surprise for you to hear me say that. But then maybe inconsistency. I'd say in the Cho world, I was often impressed, pleasantly impressed, by Cho's capability to tolerate a great deal of sheer. I think that maybe it was in the 90s, there was a great deal of care taken to make sure that we didn't overly expose Cho to sheer stress. That's something that you'll find in literature. As you move to gene therapies, I can say that HEC293 is nowhere near as robust of a cell line as is a Cho cell line when it comes to tolerance of shear. And maybe even more extreme case, if you find yourself working with a cell line that cannot even grow in suspension, you're now using microcarriers in, in an attempt to make it suspension. That is one key difference. So when it comes to the importance of incorporating some of these scale-up strategies, tolerance to shear, what kind of mixing approach do you use? I find that those that are in an industry such as gene therapy and even more extreme case often in the vaccine space where you're working with a large variety of different cell lines for the purpose of making live viral vaccines, which is where I am most familiar, you really have to be cautious on the front of, well, I need to evaluate what is the shear that is being brought into the system from choosing one impeller size to another and that is one difference I'd say I've experienced in the process development side of things. I'd say another difference once you zoom out a little bit and you think, okay, I'm working with a large company, process development is just one part of it. Things tend to be fairly well-established and mature in monoclonal antibody space. We have a much more, not chemistry, but chemistry-like understanding of what is the product. I mean, we can model what the shape of a MAB looks like and how different proteins interact each other in terms of charge. We have a pretty good understanding of that. It's much more black box once you move into vaccines and to a general extent, gene therapy. So with that in mind, I feel that's another difference in that you're often scratching the surface a lot more so with your analytics and understanding how does your product work? How does it fail in the clinic? It's a little bit more empirically based and a little less theoretically based. And that does influence how you view your overall product. Yeah, in short, those are some of the key differences I've seen. Now let's talk about your current field, the, the G therapy, because your passion is to make medicine more accessible by reducing costs. Now, G therapy is anything than cheap, right? Because <laughs> recently the FDA approved two gene therapies to treat sickle cell anemia, and the treatments are anywhere between 2.2 million and 3. million dollars, which is massive. So there is still much work to be done to make gene editing treatments widely available. So how can we as scientists and engineers decrease the development and the manufacturing costs? I would say on the COGS front, it's always important to consider what is the manufacturing cost versus the sale price. In process development, you have the greatest potential for impact when that delta is significant, when that ratio is significant. If you find yourself where your cost of goods are 1% the sale price, well, even if you're the best there ever was and you reduce the cost of goods 100-fold, 
now you're looking at a situation where instead of 1%, it's one one hundredth of a percent. And the impact on that of what's the sale price might be pretty small. So that's maybe one factor I'd point out at the top. It's not equal amongst all modalities. In the gene therapy space, things are pretty immature. And as a consequence of that, you have a lot of low-yielding processes out there. And to make up for that, also to make up for the fact that in gene therapy, in some cases, you're not sickle cell anemia, to, at least not to the same extent. But when you're in a true orphan drug state where there's very limited patients out there that are in need of your drug, you're always going to be fighting against this. We're only going to sell so many of this, so we need to list it at a higher price. That's a factor that's outside of that last one, at least, is a factor that's outside of process development, engineers, I guess, envelope of control. But how is it that you can go after decreasing cost of goods? I guess the approach that I like to take to start is to say, well, what are all the components of my manufacturing process? Where are the expenses the greatest? That's something that I find often is done later than it should be, where you actually assess if I run this process that I'm intending to perform process lock on, this is where I think things are, there's the most opportunity for savings, this sort of thing. So that's one factor. Another factor I'd say is, remember, if you're in the upstream space, which is is where I, I am and have spent my career, the impact you have to cost of goods tends to be as most extreme and most substantial as when is compared to any other step, any of the other unit operations of what makes up your process. So with that in mind, I would say that if you can try to increase your yields 50% from where they were before, remember the increase or the impact of cost of goods is going to be much more considerable then at a later chromatography stage where you increase your yields by the same margin, it's always going to be more impactful to go after the top line and trying to increase the yield of your process. So I guess you asked, what are the strategies you use to go after cost of goods? Those are two of them. The impact is often much more dramatic in the upstream space than it is in later stages, downstream stages. But if you're going to, that's just a general sense. If you're going to make a statement like that, you better do a cost analysis and actually understand, well, where are the costs of your process? So that's maybe some general guidance. Before we wrap up, Neil, I have a question out of curiosity because I worked most of my career in the biologic space of the recombinant protein side. And I wonder how can we leverage our skill set, our expertise, and also the fact that it's a more established industry now to um, help people working in the gene therapy to drive down costs? I would say there are a lot of learnings that can be leveraged. Just because there is no infection step, so to speak, or transfection step, as is common in the gene therapy space, there is, you're still working with a mammalian cell culture, you're still dealing with host cell impurities, you're still trying to manage the fact that you're a sort of a short compressed timeline when you're trying to develop the best process that you can. And those approaches we were talking about earlier, design of experiments, using meta-analyses. I use multivariate beta analysis, but there are other valuable techniques that fall under the window of machine learning. I find that can be 
huge in overall impacting cost of goods. And I find it's something that has frankly benefited me from being in multiple modalities. It's helped me to apply those findings to gene therapy that if I hadn't had the experience, I wouldn't have known. So maybe in a very short form, some of the ways that I see real leveraging possibilities from monoclonal antibody space. There are differences to be sure, but there's also quite a lot that can be leveraged. We have covered a lot of ground today in our discussion. So now, Neil, what is the number one thing we should remember from our conversation? I guess I'll finish where I started. Remember, it's too late to wait until you've optimized your process to identify that you are having sheer sensitivity when you scale up. So before you scale up, try to break your process. Try to expose it to the phenomena that you think is going to be problematic. And just to be consistent, I would say sheer phenomena has been something that often has broken processes that I have been a part of. And trying to better assess that has been hugely useful to me when I did so in the early stages of process development. Neil, where can people connect with you? If you'd like to reach me, I'd say the best place to do so is on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn and I go on every so often to see what kind of messages I have. I will be honest, I'm not the best at social media that there ever was, and I don't use it heavily. David was asking me before this podcast, what social media platforms can I announce this on? And I said, I don't do social media. So maybe I'm a little old school, but LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. I do go on the platform on a regular basis. So questions come up, please reach out to me there. Hey, Neil, thank you so much for sharing so much insight. It has been a huge pleasure to talking to you and thank you for being on the show today. Hey, thank you, David. Thank you for having me and I enjoyed it. All right, smart scientists. That's all for today on the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast. Thank you for tuning in and joining us on your journey to bioprocess mastery. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. By doing so, we can empower more scientists like you. For additional bioprocessing tips, visit us at smartbiotechscientist.com. Stay tuned for more inspiring biotech insights in our next episode. Until then, let's continue to smarten up biotech.